Good morning. My name is James. I'm one of the pastors on staff at the Chapel Sydney. Uh, if we haven't met, nice to meet you. If you're joining us online, thank you for joining us. Uh, we love having you worship with us. Well, who's excited about uh, this next Hebrew series? Yay! <laughs> We're in it for the next couple of months. Uh, now, I wasn't going to start with this, uh, but I think I have to. Um, any coffee lovers in this place? Oh, cool. Okay, cool. Now, anyone who likes their coffee with sugar? Oh, a couple of you guys. Oh, the real coffee drinkers will tell you that you don't know what you're doing. Um, uh, does anyone drink Porovers, V60, Chemex? Oh, Mel at the front. Well, the reason why I'm asking if you like coffee is I'm just trying to set you up for this next joke that I don't really find funny, <laughs> but I've been pressured to tell it. Uh, and it's this. How do you know that God loves coffee? Because Hebrews. <laughs> okay. Apologies for that joke. <laughs> but thank you, Ellen Jang, wherever she's at, for that joke. Well, I mentioned today that uh, we start in the book of Hebrews, and I'm going to be brutally honest with you guys. It's not an easy book, all right? It's going to be challenging. It's going to be uncomfortable because we're going to go deep into theology, right? But it's going to be worth it. Uh, one professor says that Hebrews is not, is, is not a light appetizer, but it's like a porterhouse steak because it's going to require us to think, right? It's going to be heavy and meaty, but... Also, it's going to be some of the most amazing things that you hear. And so as we do with every new, t- uh, with every new uh, series that we start, uh, we're going to pray. And we're going to ask God to speak to us. So let's close our eyes and let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for this encouraging uh, book of Hebrews. We pray that you would open up our ears, our minds, our hearts to understand your word We ask that you would cover these next couple of weeks with your grace and mercy, that your word would come alive to us. And as we delve deep into scripture, that Jesus, we would see you. We thank you once again for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever come across something so beautiful, so creative, right, that it's just taken your breath away? And I'm not talking about your partner or the boy or girl that you've had a crush on since high school, but I'm talking about a beautiful piece of art like Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa. I think we've got a photo over there if you don't know what it is. Or Van Gogh's Starry Night, right? Or have you ever come across uh, the design of a building, right? Or a photo that takes your breath away. Or maybe you've come across the, uh, the creative genius of a musician, right? Maybe you've come across music that just gives you the warm, fuzzy feelings. Today, what I want to do is paint you a picture. I want to paint you a picture of Jesus, the supremacy, the beauty, the wonder of Jesus. And what you're going to see is that Jesus is far better than any three-course meal. Jesus is far greater than any piece of art or building or photo or music And you're going to see that Jesus is more powerful than any president, prime minister, royal family, or CEO. And so today, 
um, if, you, if you've walked in compromising your allegiance to Jesus, or if Jesus has dropped in your priority list, if Jesus isn't the center of your life, then today is for you. So what we're going to see is the supremacy of Christ in Hebrews. So let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. Verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So the book of Hebrews is a letter. It's in the New Testament, and we actually don't know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, many say it was the Apostle Paul. Many say it was Luke, his associate, Barnabas, um, Silas. But we actually don't have enough information to identify the human author of Hebrews. And the sad thing is, it's most likely going to remain that way. Uh, but... We do know some things about the writer. We do know that he was male uh, based on the Greek grammar and the verbs that he used. We know that he heard about the salvation of Christ through the apostles. He was fluent in Greek and he knew scripture really well. So church leaders, scholars, they've been debating about this for centuries, right? Who wrote Hebrews? But we actually don't need to know the identity of the author in order for us to accept its authority. Because as we read Hebrews, what we're going to see is that the human authority of Scripture is actually secondary. The important thing is that the Holy Spirit is the primary author. And if we're to grasp everything that this book has, right, everything that God has for us in this book, then we can't get caught up in this debate because we'll never know. And we need to be willing to accept the fact that it actually matters little who wrote Hebrews. The book was written most likely in the first century, between 60 to 70 AD. Uh, and if you think about what's going on in that moment, right, there's persecution of Christians. This is when it's starting to ramp up. And so this book is a combination of encouragement and warnings not to fall away. This letter was addressed primarily to Jewish Christians, right? Who grew up in Judaism, who, but now believed in, in Jesus. And the word Hebrews is just another name for Jewish people. And so these people grew up believing and surrounded by Judaism. And very simply, right? Judaism is, it's summed up like this. God punishes the bad and God rewards the good. And that was pretty much all the Old Testament was about, right? If you keep all the laws and commandments of God, then you can be made right with God. That was the covenant that God set up in the Old Testament. Now, did anyone ever achieve that? No, nobody achieved that. This was impossible. And this is why Jesus is such good news. And so we have the rite of Hebrews mainly addressing the Jewish people. You know, these people accepted Jesus as Messiah. And they are living for him, but they have hit a bump in the road. 
And for whatever reason, they're thinking of going back to Judaism. They're thinking of leaving their faith in Jesus and going back to their old ways. What was their old ways? Animal sacrifices, temple worship, worshiping at the temple. They were tempted to go back to their old ways. D.A. Carson says it like this, some were in danger of drifting from the gospel and the salvation it offers. More specifically, they were in danger of hardening their hearts in unbelief, turning away from the living God and missing out on the heavenly rest promised by God. And this may be some of you today. You may be here and you're saying, I'm going to give it one more Sunday and I'm done with all this Jesus stuff. And if that's you today, if you're on your last legs about keeping the faith, then you're in the right place. And it's no accident that you're here, and it's no accident that we're starting the series of Hebrews. Because these same Jewish people, they started to doubt whether Jesus was the real thing. And this is why the book of Hebrews is such an encouraging book. Because what the author is trying to show us is that the big central idea, right, is that Jesus is better. There's nothing more greater, nothing more beautiful, nothing more wonderful, more satisfying, more extraordinary than Jesus. You know, I know there aren't many of us in this place who are thinking of giving up our old ways of Judaism. You know, there aren't many of us in this place who are thinking of giving up on Jesus and going back to animal sacrifices. You know, but in a time and season where everything is trying to grab our attention and our hearts, we're all tempted to look at other things which we may think are better than Jesus. Money, work, relationships. I love what Michael Kruger says in his commentary on Hebrews. This is what he says. What God gives us in the book of Hebrews is a doctrinal anchor, a clear and detailed understanding of exactly how and why Jesus is better than anything else. This will prevent us from drifting away from our faith. And so with all these things going on, right, the persecution of Christians, the falling away of believers, the threat of death from the government, it leads us to Hebrews chapter 1. And the author is trying to show us the, the beauty, the awe, the supremacy of Jesus because he knows that we have a tendency to take our eyes off Jesus and start wandering back into the sins and the addictions and the shame that we were set free from. You know, these intro verses to Hebrews, they actually set up the foundation of the entire book of Hebrews. A commentator says it like this, about the first couple of verses. Christ is held up like a jewel to the sunlight of God's revelation. And as the light courses through it, seven facets flash with gleaming brilliance. So what we're going to touch on today is these seven facets. And they are this. Christ is the inheritor, the creator, the sustainer, the radiator, the representer, the purifier, the ruler. But if you get nothing out of today, or nothing out of these whole series in Hebrews. Just remember this. Jesus is better. That's all you have to grasp. Jesus is better. So let's look at verse 1. Verse 1. In the past, 
God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Hebrews begins straight away with the author laying some great foundational truths. He's saying God is a God who speaks. Did you guys see that? God is a God who speaks. From the very beginning, God made the world by speaking. And if God speaks, then we need to listen. The question is, how did he speak and to who? In the Old Testament, God spoke through stories, visions, dreams, riddles, mighty acts, and he spoke to our fathers, which is just another way to say the generation of believers before us. But God spoke through people, through prophets, but not just through anyone and everybody, but he appointed prophets and priests. You know, to this day, I love campfires. I love sitting around a fire, hearing the crackles of the wood burning, feeling the heat of the fire on a cold night. I absolutely love it. I think you just can't beat it. But what makes it even more special are the conversations that happen around the fire. DMs, right? Deep and meaningful conversations. You know, I remember we used to sit around uh, a fire and talk for hours deep into the night. And there's something special about when someone opens up their heart. When someone opens up their heart and is vulnerable to you, you know, your response is you lean in and you listen closer. And that's what's happening here. The author is saying God is speaking. He's getting ready to tell us that Jesus is the full, final revelation of God. He's trying to show us that this new way in which God is speaking, which is through Jesus, right, is better than the old. But he's not saying that the Old Testament, the old way of speaking is irrelevant or wrong. It's still the Word of God. As one pastor puts it, it's just incomplete. It's like if you've ever watched a Netflix drama or TV series, and you know there's like 16 episodes, right? But it just finishes and stops at episode 15. It's frustrating and annoying. Not because there was something wrong with episodes 1 to 15, but because the story hasn't finished yet. This is what the writer is trying to show us about the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament is a story that ends on a cliffhanger. From Genesis 3 all the way to the last book of the Old Testament in Malachi, it's God speaking to his people, promising to send a redeemer for them. And so when Jesus comes, he's the final act. He's the resolution to the cliffhanger. And so when Jesus comes, he's not here to write a brand new story. He's actually here to finish off the old one. Verse 2, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom uh, also he made the universe. In the last days, what does this mean? Because we tend to think that it refers to a time in the future just before Jesus comes back a second time. But that phrase is not how it's used by the author of Hebrews, or in Acts 2.17, or in 1 Corinthians, or in 1 Peter. But the last days are now because it began with Jesus' first coming, and it will last till his second coming. 
Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, it launched us into the last days. And what we have to realize is that we're not told how much time we have left, right? But we're told about the kind of time that we are in now. So when you read or hear the phrase last days, it just means that we're living in the world's last period of time before Jesus returns, however long that may be. So verse 2 continues, right? Continues with this statement. He has spoken to us by his Son. The major difference between the way God spoke in the past and the way he speaks now in the present is how he speaks. In the past, God used prophets. But now he has spoken to us by his Son. God came in the person of Christ and spoke to us directly. What does that show us? It shows us uh, this, as one pastor puts it. Jesus is the fullest, final, most wonderful revelation of God himself. And I remember earlier how I mentioned that, there are, that these verses, uh, they're like lifting up a great jewel to the sunlight to see the different facets. Well, the first facet that we see is this, Christ is the inheritor. Verse 2 says that God appointed Jesus heir of all things. Jesus is the son of God. God owns the whole world, everything in it. Everything within creation, God owns. It belongs to the Father. And if Jesus is heir of all things, then that means that everything belongs to Jesus. He is king. Colossians 1.16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rules or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Another pastor says it this way, everything in the physical universe is for him and to him and will consummate in him as heir of a new creation. The second facet that we see is that Christ is the creator. The last part of verse 2 says this, and through whom also he made the universe. If Jesus is king as the heir of all things, then this passage is showing us that Jesus is king as the creator of all things. Jesus is the one through whom God created the world. And the word used there for world literally means ages, A-G-E-S, ages, right? And it fits in well because that word is dynamic and elastic, which we know about the universe now. The universe is expanding, right? Uh, The great physicist uh, Stephen Hawking, uh, he's been called one of the most brilliant theoretical physicists in the world, This is what he says about our galaxy in his book, uh, Brief History of Time. This is what he says. Our galaxy is an average-sized spiral galaxy that looks to other galaxies like a swirl in a pastry roll and that it is over 100,000 light years across. He continues by saying this. We now know that our galaxy is only one of some 100,000 million that can be seen using modern telescopes. Each galaxy itself containing some 100,000 million stars doesn't end there though they say that the average distance between these hundred thousand million galaxies is three million light years each of these galaxies are about 600 trillion miles across i've lost some of you guys (laughs) and once again they contain 100,000 million stars now um now, does anyone know how many zeros that is? <laughs> no? 
Luckily, I've got a slide on that. Can you pop up this slide for us, please? So it's that. It's, uh, that's a lot. A lot of zeros there. But that's how many stars, right? Through the work of Edwin Hubble, right, the guy that created the Hubble telescope, right, they've shown that all, nearly all the galaxies are moving away from us. Right, thus explaining that the universe is expanding constantly. And scientists estimate that the most furthest galaxy away from us is 8 billion light years away. And not a million, but billion, right? One, I found this really fascinating. One million seconds is how many days? No idea. It's 11.5 days. One billion seconds is 31.5 years. That's a, that's a big difference, right? This is the creative power of Christ. Jesus has created every star in the 100,000 galaxies of the universe. He's created every particle, every atom, every proton, every neutron. Jesus is the one through whom God created the entire space, time, matter, the entire universe. And we just have to look at the New Testament to see the realities of the power of Christ. Our 1 Corinthians 8, 6, it says, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things came and through whom we live. Romans eleven thirty six, For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. The third facet that we see is Christ the sustainer. Verse 3, the, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is the creator of all things, but he's also the sustainer of all things. It says that he upholds the universe by the power of his word. And the image that will likely pop into your mind is that of Atlas, right? The Greek mythological um, character holding up the world. But that's actually a wrong image. But just as God spoke the world into existence through his word, Jesus sustains and he holds all things by his spoken word. We actually see this in Colossians 1.17. It says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What does this mean? It means Christ holds everything in place, from the bonds that hold tiny atoms and molecules together to sustaining the 100,000 million galaxies in the universe. Listen to some of, some of these amazing facts about the human body. The human body is estimated to have 60,000 miles of blood vessels. That's going around the world two and a half times. The human nose can remember 50,000 cents. Uh, Our brain has more than 200 billion nerve cells. It is estimated that there are over one quadrillion connections in the brain. The human tongue has about 10,000 taste buds. And how amazing is the creative genius of our God? You know, no one could have ever thought of creating the human body, yet alone sustain every nerve cell, every protein, every muscle fiber, the bone structure. Jesus is both creator and sustainer. And yes, he creates the physical world, right? Yes, he creates the physical world and our earthly bodies, but he also created the spiritual world. 
And Jesus, he can create in us clean hearts. He can make us into new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And so I know there are some of us in this place who are struggling with the guilt and the shame of who we once were before, our past regrets. But if you've made Jesus the Lord and Savior and King of your life, then you're a new creation in Christ. You know, if you're in this place and you're completely far from God, you've lost the sense of who you are, and you're just lost in life, then be encouraged. Jesus can take your messed up life and create a new person. We've seen it happen before time and time again. We've seen God move. The fourth facet is this, Christ the radiator. Verse 3 says, he is the radiance of the glory of God. And radiance, he just means brightness or shining. And if we look at the Old Testament passage in Exodus 24, Ezekiel, Daniel, we see that God is described as bright and glorious. It's like when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, his face was shining so bright. And it wasn't the oils on his face, but, but it was because he was speaking with God. You know, how crazy is that? It says that his face was shining so much that the people couldn't even come near him. But do you know what the difference between the sun and the moon is? The moon reflects light, whereas the sun radiates light, right? Because it's its source. The fifth facet is this, Christ the representer. Hebrews 1.3 it continues by saying the sun is the exact representation, the exact imprint of God's nature. Jesus represents God's essence. The sixth facet is this, Christ the purifier, meaning that Jesus is the sacrifice of atonement for our sins. Atonement just meaning reconciling sinful people with God. And one of the key themes that you're going to see in, in Hebrews is the role of the priest, the role of the priest in the Old Testament was to make animal sacrifices on our behalf, to temporarily take away or pay for your sins. But now the very purpose of Christ coming into the world was to make an offering for sin for once and for all. You know, the major difference with Jesus and the priest was that Jesus didn't offer bulls or goats or animals, but he offered himself. And so when we read that little phrase in verse 3, after he had provided purification of sins, we, we see the phrase, right? We see in that phrase it contains the heart of the gospel. That Jesus has achieved what God's people were longing for throughout generations. The full forgiveness of sins. Jesus, the ruler of this world, the creator, the sustainer, the radiator, the representer. You know, we have all offended this king. We've all rebelled against this king. But he came as a man and gave his own life for us so that we would be forgiven and free. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And a lot of us would think that this and the gospel isn't for Christians. That it's for unbelievers. And it is. 
but it's more for us who call ourselves Christians. The gospel is for you. You who have heard this a thousand times. You who have grown up in the church. You who are serving or a leader. The gospel is for you. The last facet that we see is that Christ is the ruler. It says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, do you know why he sat down? You know, the priests in the Old Testament, they were doing their work and sacrificing, right? When they were doing all that stuff, they never sat down. There was never a chair there. Why? Because animal sacrifices were never enough to take away the sins. So the priests had to sacrifice again and again and again and again. But Jesus, his offering of himself, he paid for all our sins once and for all. He covered everything, past, present, future. And the reason why he sat down was because the job was finished. It was done. You can never pay for your own sins with works of righteousness. What do I mean? What do I mean? There are people here, right, who think that you can make yourself clean and pure and blameless by doing good things. You think that by being a good person, you get into heaven. And I say this because I love you, but you just, you can't. That actually undermines the work of Jesus, what he did on the cross. There is only one way to be blameless and pure in heart, and that's by the blood of Jesus. The only way to have a right standing with with God is by faith in his blood. So Jesus is sitting down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The right hand, it signifies the highest place of honor. And this king, he's, Jesus is ruling as king, prophet, and priest. You know, an interesting thing happened this week. We actually received an email from someone who was wanting to partner with us to do some ministry and church work, right? And that's totally fine. We're open to partnering with other ministries, other churches. Absolutely fine. But the problem was that uh, they didn't, uh, well, they don't believe, uh, let, me, let me phrase this really carefully. <laughs> the problem was, right, that they, that what they believe about Jesus and what we believe about Jesus is different, like very different. And I'm not, I'm not talking about some secondary issues like, What was Jesus' height or like, did he have blue eyes or what was his sandal size? You know, nothing like that. But core differences in who Jesus is. And I mention this to you because my challenge for you is, do you know Jesus? Not just information about Jesus, but do you know the person and character of Jesus? If a person came up to you presenting a version of Jesus that's not in the Bible, right? Would you be able to identify that? So my challenge for you today is to go deeper with Jesus. Aim to know him more intimately, more deeply, more personally. How? There is no other way but through the word of God. The word of God. Study it, meditate it, consume it, memorize it, live it, breathe it. Make it a priority in your life because verse 2 says that God has spoken to us by His Son. We encounter Jesus through the Word of God. If you don't know where to begin, grab a study Bible. Grab a commentary. 
If you need suggestions or recommendations, ask your life group leader or any of these leaders. Because a deeper understanding and love of the Word of God, it lays the foundation for the Christian life. It helps us keep us on track. And I just want to finish with this. Jesus is the inheritor, the creator, the sustainer, the radiator, the representer, the purifier, the ruler. Jesus is king of the universe. Listen to this quote. If you realize that Jesus is the king of the universe, if you realize that the king of the universe died for you and gave himself for you and laid aside everything for you, you are left thinking, what king is this? What king is this? But do you know why you would think that? Because kings don't save their enemies. They destroy them. The king of the universe, Jesus, he has given himself in order to save us from our sins. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget that that this king who gave everything for us, he holds the universe. And he is the one leading his army forward. In the words of the theologian Michael Kruger again, this is what he says, Jesus is not going to lose. The world is his inheritance, and he will prevail in the end, however dark things may seem. Let's close our eyes in prayer.